Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host, Aoife O'Brien. The podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. On this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast, I speak with Trassa Sprague, who is a sleep expert, and we talk all things sleep and how important, just how important sleep is for our overall health and well-being. I'm not going to dwell too much at the start because our conversation is quite long, but I think you'll agree with me. We have a really, really great conversation and there's some really great practical tips for things that you can do to get more sleep. And Trasa also talks about the benefits of getting more sleep and how it really impacts on our hormones and our overall well-being. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome, Trasa, to the Happier at Work podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Thanks, Aoife. I'm delighted to be here. Um, My name is Trasa Sprague and my company is Revolution Project Limited. And basically, I make people move and I make them sleep. But everything I do is all about um, helping people just be happier, healthier humans. Now, we we first met at, I think it was a, a Dublin networking event, wasn't it? With the, the Leo Women's right. Dublin. And yeah. we were kind of like, yeah. we know each other from somewhere and we still haven't figured out exactly how we know each other. But <laughs> since met you several times, but I'm really interested. I saw you speak at, at the Breakfast Club as well a few months back. I'm really interested in this whole concept of sleep. I read the book by Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep, uh, a few months ago. And I just feel like it had a a massive impact on me because sleep is probably something that you don't, you kind of know vaguely, oh yeah, I need to get more sleep or I'm tired or whatever. This whole idea of you might go through your your teens and your 20s and maybe even into your 30s, not really thinking about how much sleep do you need or how you're impacting on your sleep by you know, doing staying up late or by going out at the weekends and things like that. So what kind of tips do you have to share when it comes to optimizing your sleep or? Well, the when people come to my workshops, what I want them to leave with is just a really firm understanding that sleep is the foundation of everything Whatever somebody throws at me or asks me a question about, no matter how random it is, sleep can help with that problem. And the the workshop is is very fun and engaging. Like I, I really make people run around and they they get all the sort of little pictures in their head of what happens when we sleep. Because to be honest, exactly like you've said, we really don't give it much thought when we're younger other than thinking I could do with more. But there's kind of that whole attitude of I can sleep with it when I'm dead and burning the candles at both ends. And you're I don't need to sleep anyway. It's kind of it's it's eating into my social time, you know. Um, but once people start realizing how extraordinary sleep is and not only are you recovering from the day you've just had, but you're preparing for the day ahead. And that's everything from your mood hormones, your hunger hormones, your sex hormones, the ability to remember what you did the day before um, in terms of complexity. So that has to do with, you know, whether you're working on a project in college or you're working on a project in work, um, everything that you need to actually be able to to carry out those functions really well. Um, and then the whole recovery bit. So um, there's the, 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 the minor recovery, like, you know, say you've done something you've exercised. So we tear our muscle fibers. They all recover at night um, Our digestive system, all our systems. But what people don't realize as well is there's a major, major um, thing that happens at night, which is it's called the glymphatic system. Essentially, it, it just uh, cleans out um, all of the debris from our brain. And once we get into cycles of being sleep deprived, um, we're massively increasing our risk of developing Alzheimer's later. But for the short term, if you want to be happy every day instead of being a grumpy cow, you know, you need your sleep. If you yeah. want to be full of fabulous sort of eureka moments at work, you need your sleep. Yeah. If you want to be making sensible um, food choices, you need your sleep. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny what you said, I sleep when I'm dead. Like that's it's definitely something like I and my friends used to say in our 20s. I'm not sure if we kind of continued saying 
stuff like that in our 30s 30s the hangover kind of starts getting a bit worse if you've been out drinking the night before yeah. um yeah. and it, it's mostly to do with sleep because I know if you stay up very late it it almost feels and you haven't been drinking it almost feels like you have a hangover the next day and I know um you know I had mentioned to you previously that when I read that book by Matthew Walker it was um it was one of the kind of triggers or one of the the messages I received was that drinking alcohol really impacts poorly on your sleep and I haven't been drinking since June uh, and that is that is one of the reasons that I've done it having said that I've been out a couple of times in the last few months where I've stayed out way later than I thought I would and way later than I should have in retrospect Uh, on one occasion I didn't get to bed till about half two in the morning Mm-hmm. And normally when you have a few drinks, it's easier probably to to kind of go with the merriment and you, you feel like you can stay up a bit longer. Uh, but I was having such a good time with my friends that I, just, you know, I, I, I didn't really notice the time passing, but I didn't get to bed till half two. And certainly the next day I just and for a few days after that, I felt terrible because I normally wake up at around half six or seven in the morning. And that's on the weekends as well. That's how my body mm-hmm. kind of just wakes up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what what's really helpful to think about is in terms of cycles. So now if you went into a sleep clinic and they hooked you up, they could tell you precisely how long your cycle is. Um, but the average human tends to be 90 minutes. So that's what we generally work off is thinking of, you know, 90 minute cycles. But every human, other than the outliers, we need five cycles. So it can be very, very helpful to think in terms of five, um, five 90 minute cycles. So say, for example, that night that you went to bed at half two, what's much more reasonable is to think that you will get four of your cycles and you set an alarm so that rather than waiting for your body to wake up naturally, you actually set it for four times 90 minutes and you get up. Now, you don't want to have because you don't have the resources to have um, a really hectic day, but you're already planning when you wake up, I'm going to have another 90 minute cycle, a full 90 minute cycle in the afternoon. If it's impractical, then still definitely get a half hour nap. But getting another cycle in the afternoon really, really helps. Now, it won't be able to completely wipe out the um, the negative aspects of going to bed so late, but we feel very groggy if we're woken suddenly in the middle of a cycle as opposed to at the end of it. But um, the, I think sometimes the, the preparation for a night out is really key because our bodies adore regularity. Like it's great to hear that your body, even at the weekend, wakes up naturally about 6.30. Our bodies function best when they have complete regularity. So we go to bed at the same time. We get up at the same time. We eat at the same times. But you know, of course, we want to go out from time to time. So I will always have a nap um, in the afternoon before going out. Or even if it's like for me, if I'm going out, it's going to be to salsa. And a lot of the salsa clubs don't start until late anyway. So I will literally get through most of my day and then I'll go down for a nap. Like it might be, you know, six or seven o'clock and I'll go down for a full 90 minutes and then I'll get up and I'll dance and I'll still plan a nap the next day as well. Um and but I also have planned, OK, I need to be really kind to my body the next day because I've, I've I've just kind of depleted it quite a bit. So I won't plan a lot of activity. That's the time to plan seeing your friends, you know, for a really nice lunch or going for a nice walk or getting certain things done that aren't strenuous and definitely being very careful about, you know, the amount of water that you take in, making sure that you're actually getting a lot of nutrients for your body, um, particularly because when we're sleep deprived, it is one of our sources of energy. So there's kind of a double whammy. One, we literally haven't re-energized our bodies enough. And secondly, um, our hunger hormones, the leptin and the ghrelin, they're massively affected by sleep deprivation. So the one that makes you feel hungry, the ghrelin, that one massively increases so that you're going to feel way hungrier than usual. And the leptin that tells you that you're full, um, that one's going to decrease enormously. So you're not getting the full message um, soon enough. 
And that's your body's way of getting in energy from food that you did not give it. It wasn't replenished enough during the night. So it's being aware of that. So I say to people like, you know, you know how after a night like that, of course, you go for the greasy food and whatever. That's your body's way of getting you know, energy fast. It it will want the stuff that just gives it energy fast. So plan, plan a really good breakfast and make sure like, you know, it's a great breakfast is, you know, having um, your eggs and avocado. You're, you're really getting a lot of great stuff into your body and you'd be less likely to sort of um have too much of the bad stuff later, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. There's a couple of things there that I want to pick up on. So what you were talking about, about having a nap before you go out, and I remember I used to do that and I haven't done it in a while. <laughs> I did definitely used to do that. And I would have like I called it a nana nap or, you know, myself and my friends would call it a nana nap. Yeah. And you have a nana nap and then you go out and you feel nice and refreshed and, and able to stay out a little bit longer. Um, but I do tend to if I feel tired in, in the day, I do tend to go for a nap and it would, you know, it could last up to 90 minutes. So I'm I'm glad to hear that I don't often do it, but but sometimes I have and especially in recent weeks, um, which has been great. Um, the other interesting thing that you said, and I can definitely relate to this, is the whole tiredness and being hungry. So not only are we feeling more hungry, we feel full slower, more slowly. So we eat more and I could, yeah. And so you want, you want all the carbs because they're going to give you fast energy and you, you want all the greasy stuff and, and all of that. I can totally relate. Um, if I'm tired, I'm definitely way hungrier than when I'm not tired, when I've had enough sleep, you know, I'm kind of a bit more regulated, but, um, definitely if I'm if I'm tired I'm like give me all the food now basically like it's it's great actually understanding why like we're 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 very chemically and hormonally driven and it's really great I think getting this understanding of like ah okay so I'm not some kind of greedy pig that just goes and it's funny because sometimes I say to people do you ever pass those stalls with like the sausages and the onions at, you know, two o'clock in the morning on Decent Street? And normally they would just completely turn your stomach. But if you've been out drinking and dancing, they're just going to seem like the most delectable things on earth. And then the next day you're thinking, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And that was very much in our, our 20s in particular. Like you always went to the chipper after going out dancing, oh, you know, and th- there's there's a need like where literally our bodies are like give me energy, you know, you've just been dancing like a magio, give me energy. But it's, it's, it's good to know that there's a reason, there's a reason behind all of these impulses. Just giving your body the opportunity to rest, um, you know, will, and here's where the M word crops up. And I sometimes have a lot of resistance to this and I sometimes get a lot of, oh, okay, that's great. Yeah, I do this anyway. So the M word is meditation. Um, if people only have 30 minutes for a nano nap or just to get a bit of rest or just to step back from life, it's fantastic turning on um, and, you know, they don't even need to subscribe to an, um, an app. But something like Insight Timer has hundreds of topics, hundreds of teachers. You set the amount of time yourself and you can just lie on a bed. And a lot of people, particularly if they're not that familiar with it. Just using a body scan or a breathing exercise really, really helps. Now, what people, you know, might not understand what's happening is just as we're going about our day, um, we can be stressed or anxious about things or we can succumb to the pressure of a looming deadline or what have you. And what's happening within our bodies is cortisol is being released. And um, a lot of people know that cortisol is, you know, your body's in the fight or flight state of being which is um, your sympathetic system and breathing, doing particular breathing techniques or like that, doing a body scan or or meditating literally brings you from out from the sympathetic state and it balances you. But I say to people, look, it brings you from the sympathetic state into the parasympathetic. It's the rest and digest. So you're literally slowing down all your brain waves. Your body is going back to being in a relaxed rather than a stressed state. And that is a very, very valuable thing. And I, I help people understand it by saying, look, this is evolutionary. It goes back a gazillion years when cortisol was released in the body. Your body knew, OK, there's an imminent danger of death is nearby. There's a saber toothed tiger. 
my this body needs to run and get out of here. So every other function is shut down. There's no need for your digestion. You're certainly not going to be thinking about food when you're running for your life. Um, you don't need to really think other than run like crazy. So some of your cognitive functions turn um, switch off. Um, you don't need your sex hormones anymore. Um, everything is just focused on getting you out of there, which is why when we're stressed or anxious, it's really, really difficult to do anything else. So even though it seems counterproductive, if somebody's facing a huge pressure at work, the very best thing to do is to disengage for a little bit of time and actually get themselves back into being in um, this calm state. And I say to people, when people are like constantly in distress state, I say, look, nobody will stop you going to the loo. So I say to people, even if it's just that you go to the bathroom, you close the door, you sit on the, the loo, put down the lid and you literally focus on your breath for three minutes. Those three minutes can be enough to switch you out of the fight or flight state and into the rest or digest. And then your brain is able to function properly again. So it might seem counterproductive, but no, we, we need to know what state our body is in for what we're asking it to do. That's so interesting and so relatable. I know, you know, in work, when you're feeling really stressed, if you've had a difficult client, if you've had... um you know, if you're approaching a deadline and you're running out of time and you're really trying to get the work done, I know what that is. I know what it feels like. And I know, mm. you know, you, you're highly stressed and you're, you're trying to get stuff done and you can't really focus properly because Yuck. you're so stressed yeah. and and outside influences can't really kind of penetrate. And and uh, I've definitely been there myself. And it is so counterintuitive to be like, oh, you just need to to take a step away and breathe or take it, take a walk for five minutes around the block or mm-hmm. whatever it is to get away because you're so caught up in what it is that you need to do. And oh, no, but I have this deadline or oh, no, but it, this thing has happened and I need to solve it immediately. And yeah. if you're saying it just takes three minutes, just take those three minutes. Oh, Absolutely. They can just make all the difference to whatever it is that has to be done. And, you know, quite often after um, my talks or workshops, I will get I'll have loads of Q&A's afterwards that are public. But then I always invite people to come up for a private one if they want. And I've been so surprised at the number of people that have come up and sort of confessed that um, one of the most stressful things that they face during the week is a particular manager or colleague and they get themselves so worked up knowing that they have to interact with this person. And um, obviously, there are certain HR things, you know, that I suggest that they do. But I do say to them, if you know you have a meeting at 10, go to the bathroom at 10 to 10 and take the time to compose yourself and to do, you know, particularly box breathing, where you might take, say, four seconds or five seconds. You And sometimes people are so stressed three seconds feels long. So they'll breathe in for three, hold for three, exhale for three and hold out at the bottom for three. And you're literally doing this box breathing. It doesn't matter how many seconds. If you're really, really hyper, two seconds might be all you can manage. Um, But it's, you know, you just do it like that. In, hold, out, hold. And it's the same number of seconds each time. And then you can feel yourself getting calmer. You can feel your heart rate slowing and then you can increase the seconds. But um, the same thing before giving presentations, some people get really stressed and just these really simple breathing techniques put them literally put their bodies into the correct state to give a great presentation or to have that meeting with somebody who stresses them out. There's some great tips there. And I know, certainly, you know, I've been in that situation before where you're like, I'm going into this meeting. I know it's going it's not going to be a pleasant meeting and things like that but that's that's great just take that time out for yourself and and sometimes when we're in work we don't feel like we can do that like that we yeah. feel like we can't kind of step away for those few minutes but really it is it's just about doing that for taking responsibility and doing it and definitely yeah presentations can be really really stressful as well whether you're delivering it internally it could be to a senior audience it could be your first time presenting or it could be to a client or could be to a, a much larger audience than you're used to but just taking that time to to just breathe and and to bring your body back into a state of calm I think um is really really key 
for that. And to be honest, it's relevant for the majority of the population because we know that whole thing about your comfort zone, you know, nothing, you know, no growth happens in your comfort zone. You have to step out of it. So I'm sure the majority of your listeners are people who are really interested in personal growth and just improving themselves. Kaizen, never ending improvement. So that means that we will constantly be, you know, extending out beyond what makes us comfortable. And this breathing technique is brilliant for all of us, including myself. You know, Um, I want to be doing things that are, you know, a little bit scary and a little bit out there. So um, this is something that I do myself a lot you know, it's just, um, yeah, breathing's wonderful. Like we've been doing it since birth, but then we actually need to learn how to do it when we're older. Like sleeping, you know, we've been sleeping since birth, but we still need to know how to do it and how to set ourselves up for it and how to get the best one. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, I, I heard someone say recently, it's the only thing that's in our control. You know, you can control when you breathe. Everything else yes. is pretty much out of yes. our control. Yeah. You know, when and how you breathe, you can actually control that. Um, You can hold your breath. You can you can elongate your breath. Um, Everything else really is is beyond our control. But yeah, no, totally. You know, it's part of the human condition, I think, is to want to grow and to develop. So it should be relatable for everyone getting out of the comfort zone and how to use these techniques to feel a bit calmer for when you are. I don't like to say stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, I saw this thing a, a couple of months ago, which is about stretching your comfort zone. So yes, I'm much more yeah. comfortable with that language now um, about stretching your comfort zone, because it, it, the implication being that like you're stretching it and then you're there and then you're stretching it slightly stretching more. Stretching it a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that it's a little bit Absolutely. at a time and it doesn't have to be a giant step or it doesn't have to be a, a leap or it doesn't have to be breaking through a mold or anything like that. Um, yeah, yeah. That's Some, a great word. Yes. That's a great concept. Yeah. It's great, isn't it? I yeah. Like that one. I'll borrow that one. Yes. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> um, something that we touched on earlier, Teresa, that I wanted to come back to. So I tend to wake up early, like about half six or seven. But I am aware that there are other people who tend to wake up later and go to bed later. And that's how their system is naturally. Do you want to kind of talk us through a little bit about that? Well, um, it's... This has been a very exciting decade. There's literally new research emerging all the time. And um, in terms of people who wake up early, people who wake up late, we've traditionally called them larks and owls. And we're talking about chronotypes so that your, your chronotype is literally determines whether you like, you know, your morning person or a night person. And um, the emerging research is actually focusing on light and the effect of light so that when you go back. So what happened, you know, way, 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 way back is we all, well, adults have, you know, we need roughly somewhere between seven and eight hours of sleep. And what used to happen in tribes, obviously, you went to sleep when the sun went down. You had really no other option. And then, you know, you'd wake up with the sunrise. Now, of course, that's not a seven or eight our period. It's a lot longer than that. It's closer to maybe 11 or 12 hours. So they would actually take it in turns going to sleep and waking because obviously people need to be um, awake to mind, you know, mind the rest of the sleeping people in case animals approach and they'd all have to hightail it out of there. But when we remove light, then we actually go back to what's completely natural, because, again, as I say, we're controlled by hormones and chemicals on the inside. So what happens when we wake up in the morning and actually 630 is great. So exposing ourselves to early morning sunshine, um, even if it doesn't feel very sunny like in Ireland, you're still getting the blue light spectrum going through your retina, um, hitting the pineal gland. And what it does is that it, it suppresses melatonin so that we feel awake for the day. And then obviously the converse should happen when it's time for sleep, um, there's very little light, uh, melatonin is allowed to rise and we fall asleep naturally. So with Edison and the electric bulb, everything changed. So our bodies are still in the old evolutionary state and getting very confused by, you know, um, the sleep pressure has been building up all day. The natural light outside has been diminishing 
Then we go home and we have strong lights on or more likely we're on our phones, we're on our laptops watching Netflix or we're watching TV. So the brain and the body are actually getting very confused. It can feel the sleep pressure. It's it's going by the circadian, circadian clock on the inside. However, it's now being bombarded with blue light, which is basically telling it that it's wake up time as opposed to sleep time. So when we remove the artificial stimuli, and you'll hear this often, people who go camping, when the light is gone and you know, you're know you out with a campfire, you're singing, you're laughing, you're, you're having the crack, and you go to bed and you tend to go to bed earlier because you know, you're camping and th- there isn't the light anymore um, or there isn't even the impetus to be on your phone and you're certainly not watching TV out in the wilderness. Um, you tend to wake up naturally. When we live more in accordance with natural light, then you have fewer of the outliers. It's not it's like all of us are larks and none of us are um, night owls. So the you know, it's, it's kind of fairly been established that really around 10 o'clock or even nine is a great time to go to sleep. There's kind of this thing of, you know, the two hours before midnight are much more valuable than the hours afterwards. And it actually has to do with um, our cycles. We spend more time in the deep sleep state. And then later on in the cycles, we spend more time in the dreaming state. And they both have very, very important functions. But we tend to, if we stay up, now, if we stay up and we're not exposing ourselves to the TV or the, the phone and things like that, you'll certainly have an easier sleep. But you're basically kind of getting we talk about getting a second wind. Your body's expecting its first cycle of sleep. And instead, you're staying up. You, you're definitely going to feel more tired. And a lot of people have certain stresses and worries going on that they just want to ignore and they think, you know, another episode of something on Netflix is going to help them avoid life for a bit. And there's really only so much avoiding we can do before it all becomes too much because our sleep gets compromised for a longer period of time, making us less able to deal with the things that we have to deal with during the day. And um, it, it's just more difficult to to unravel. Um, we're, we're much better off. Some of the things that I say in the workshops are, for example, if you have those worries, the best thing to do is a brain dump. You have a notebook, any old random notebook, and you're writing down the things that are worrying you in bullet, in bullet point form. And the reason for doing that is simply that, you know, you're getting it out of your head and into paper. So if you start thinking about it, you stop yourself and think, no, it's OK. It's out of my head. It's on paper. I can open up the notebook in the morning and put it all back into my head. But while I'm asleep, while I'm in the bed, I don't need to think about it because it's safe. The information's safe somewhere else. I'm not going to forget it. This is also where meditation is great before sleep. It's a fantastic thing to have a part as a part of your pre-sleep ritual. You know, um, I say to people, like at least an hour before bedtime, you want to be off the, the blue, sc- you know, the, the blue light, anything that gives you blue light, ideally even earlier on in the night. Um, it's just to decide, OK, the phone's off, the TV is off. There are so many other things that we can do. Uh, we've, we just become accustomed and even addicted to being on the phones or watching in Netflix. And um, I always just encourage people to give it a go. You know, what have you got to lose? Give something a go for a week and catalogue how you feel about it. And, you know, for me, the the feelings are definitely better than you know staying up like I I haven't I've watched very little telly uh for most of my life but I did I got the call from my mom I watched the late late special for Gay Byrne the other night and it was so funny it it finished a quarter to 12 and I went to bed and when I woke in the morning I had that thick head as if I had been drinking and I hadn't it was just watching telly and staying up later than I did. And it made me think, oh, my gosh, I'm, you know, this is proof that what I tell people in my workshops really, really works. I I really didn't like the way my head felt when I woke up the following day and I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, it's I'm so glad I don't do this. You know, I don't want to do that. I know how I want to feel in the morning. 
Yeah. We preferred that other way of feeling in the morning. It's funny you should say that because I stayed up now. I stayed up till about half past 10 that night watching the Gay Burn special on RTE. And I I think I got to about half 10 and I thought, no, I forget this. I can't. I am so tired that I I just have to go to bed. Um, So I went to bed. Yeah, I, there's no way I could. I didn't know how late it was going to stay up. There was kind of they were bringing on different guests all the time. So I wasn't sure when it was going to actually end. Um, but there's a few things that I want to pick up on on what you've said there, Trasa. Um, so the whole idea of light, and I'm thinking of Ireland, especially now that we're in winter. And, you know, if, if I'm waking up at half six, seven in the morning and the sun doesn't rise till about half seven or eight, how do I get that light then in the morning? Like, how do you kind of... And then in the evening time, when it gets dark at about, I think it's five o'clock, it's sunset these days. Yeah. How yeah. How do you then... How do you manage that? Or is it a case of naturally we should be going to bed earlier in the wintertime or, you know, so can we talk a little bit about that? I personally am a huge believer in mindset um, and I'm very, very careful about my language. So, um, you know, you've probably heard it yourself around this time where people are moaning and being very negative as the light fades, you know, and oh, I can't wait until, you know, we've got the, the grand stretch in the evening again. Oh, and um, I like the mindset of the uh, the town that's the, the most northern in Finland. So they have the shortest amount of daylight um, of, of any town. And for them, it's a mindset. They feel like the winter times are more time to retreat into conversations and books and games and having friends over for long meals. And they, they, they welcome it. They adapt to it. And I think even for us, we, we've kind of got this always on, you know, notion now that, you know, we can order anything, we can do anything, things are open, um, like like we're in control as opposed to nature being in control and, you know, eating out of season and we can have whatever we want when we want it. Whereas if we take a more natural viewpoint and think, well, everything is cyclical, you know, so there are certain things that we can do in the summer and what are all the lovely things that we can do now as the the weather is 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 different. The weather is forcing us, you know, and it's forcing us into, you know, fluffy socks and snuggling blankets and and um, open fires and but but seeing it more as an opportunity rather than something negative. I mean, for sure, we need to plan a little more how we can get um, more time outside, exposed to whatever light we do have. And, you know, 10 at lunch has always been um, a key point of my workshops from the very beginning, regardless of the time of year. But um, it's interesting. I've been doing this work since about 2015, but it's only been the last year or two that the, the just the importance of light, l- looking at light as um, almost like a nutrient and that you really want to get as much natural sunlight in as you can. And that just means being outside. It, it, it just means, you know, uh, fresh air. So it's it's taking not sitting at your desk and having a sandwich, but grabbing a friend, grabbing one of your colleagues, going outside and walking so that you're being exposed. You know, it's it's just taking the opportunity even for a 20 minute walk in the morning and being exposed to whatever light that there is there and then embracing all of the indoor things Um you know, when when the when the time starts getting really dark early, as it is at the moment, um, but it's focusing. We we don't yet have this strong focus on exposure to light is really important. Now there are things that people can do from a tech or um, you know you can buy those Lumina lights that will act and give you the right spectrum, you know, in the morning, it, it, it acts as a natural sunlight and you can you set an alarm on it and th- there's no actual alarm. It's just it starts um, filling your room up with the natural light that you would get from the sun. And particularly people who have sad seasonal affective disorder, um, they benefit enormously from some exposure to special lamps during the day, during the darker months. 
you know, and there are definitely things like that that we can do as well. But I think most of us can just benefit from from getting out, from from actually having writing reminders even. And sometimes it's it can feel very untempting because um, it's cold. But if we just put on, you know, enough clothes and head out and you'll feel so invigorated by it anyway. But um, the temptation is definitely there to stay in. But um, get out, get outside is the message. Okay, and kind of going back to the idea of in the morning time. So at the moment when it's the sun rises at about half past seven. So if you're getting up early, how is how do you expose yourself? Or is it a case of just waiting until the sun rises? It's a case of just waiting. Um, I mean, there isn't anything that you can do if the sun isn't penetrating at all, which is the case for us for a few months of the year. Um, there isn't anything, you know, there isn't anything natural that you can do about that. Obviously, you can um, hack it by having one of those special um, lamps at home. But um, again, when the whole house is in darkness and everything outside is in darkness, um, I love that feeling of being awake before the world. So um, I would always have on lights that are relatively dim and I have my blanket around me and that's a great time to meditate or read books and just feel like, you know, I'm having this time for myself um, before the rest of the world wakes and before I have to get on to any duties, you know, any mom duties or anything like that. And um, then it's great. It's actually a great time to get out and exercise if that's um you know, if if it's a person that goes out and runs anyway, um, is it's a it's great to do that in the morning, um, <laughs> once the sun actually starts um, rising. Just make sure that you're visible. The other thing I wanted to pick up on was this whole idea of staying up late. So you were saying that you stayed up late to watch the Late Late Show, um, the tribute to Gay Byrne, which was yeah. on TV the other night, and I had an interesting conversation last night uh, with a friend who said that he stays up late. And his wife said to him, why, what's wrong with you? Why are you staying up late? Because she knows that he stays up late when he worries about stuff and mm-hmm. he puts on the TV to distract himself and he stays up late. And it's just something that he does. And he didn't he might not have even realized it himself, but she kind of challenged him on it. Um, yeah. So do you, do you find that that's something that's quite common, that people tend to stay up late? And, and how do you kind of? overcome that I suppose it's incredibly common I mean I think sometimes the solution is um or you know what's what's wrong with somebody is that they're they're worried and they're concerned about something and in that case I would get them to I'd persuade them enough about the importance of sleep for health so we're not thinking about their concerns and worries yet we're just focusing on the sleep for health so they understand okay I am going to go to bed because I have to get up at this time. I'm going to be asleep by 1030 every night. I need to give myself a sleep window, an opportunity to fall asleep of, say, half an hour. So I'm going to be in bed by 10. That means I'm off all of my um, devices by nine o'clock. And sometimes it's really interesting for men rather than women um, what to do in that hour. So, as I say, I always try and encourage people to get started on a meditation practice um, journaling if they're open to it, for sure, making the brain dump. Now, women sometimes will potter or read. Sometimes the guys will read. But particularly if somebody's in a relationship like that's a great it's like, wow, if you said to your partner, OK, I'm going to focus on my sleep. And I'm going to be free at nine o'clock every night for an hour. Like, it's, you know, do I need to spell it out? No, you don't need to spell it out. The, the funny thing is that, you know, the intimacy created by that is then a great safe space for a man to be able to say, look, these are the things that are bothering me at the moment. And just having just being able to articulate them, whether they're about work or the kids or a pension or life in general. um, there's then that safe space to articulate them and they're being heard by the other partner. Sometimes that's all they need is just to be heard and for something to be articulated. And then if they ask for advice, that's grand. And then the partner might also say, look, you know, do you might be helpful to go speak to a professional about it? And um, I think we are getting much, much more um, accepting of the idea that, you know, our cars are complex and they need a service and an MOT annually. Our bodies are much, much more complex and they're they're a form of transport. They are transporting around 
our minds, our hearts, our souls for our entire lives. So, of course, they would need a service and an MOT once in a while. And going to speak to a professional um, is a fantastic internal MOT, you know. So I think that um, getting therapy of any kind is losing its stigma in Ireland, which I think is fantastic because a lot of the time it's just what people keep inside becomes an enormous burden. And, you know, when people start sorting their sleep, then they realize, you know, I'm worrying less. Even if somebody just went to sleep without talking to somebody, um, you're worrying less the next day. You're you're creating more of the right hormones. You have more dopamine, serotonin, endorphins. These are all hormones that keep you buoyant and happy. Um, because you've slept sufficiently, um, your problem-solving abilities are much sharper. So even things that had been bothering you, the chances are you are actually able to think about them in a much more um, in a much more rational way. And I, I do tell men as well that when you meditate, you're um, increasing something called the corpus callosum. And it's like a little bridge between the left and right hemispheres of the brain. So essentially what that means is that um, sometimes men can be very analytical, but the, the creativity is in the, the other side of the brain. And when you meditate, it means that both of those can communicate a lot faster and in a more complex way so that the solutions that men are coming out with are actually much more um, well-rounded instead of just being the analytical part of the brain speaking. So when you fix, you know, just focus on the sleep and a lot of the, the worries and concerns will actually you, you'll have the resources, much better resources to deal with the, the worries and the concerns. Yeah. So it's that you're, you're much, much more able to cope with what life throws at you when you've had a good night's sleep. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. And it literally is like um, I, uh, you know, I liken it to baking. And unfortunately, because, you know, sort of the, the, the primary concern of our body and our brain is to keep us alive. That's the primary um, concern. And that's the one that it will sort of heed above anything else. And uh, one of the most important hormones for keeping us alive is cortisol, because that's the one we have enough cortisol in our system. We can run like Hussein Bolt. But the precursor or one of the prime ingredients needed to make cortisol is also needed to make other hormones. So if our body is, um, well, it's our brain, really, if it's um, concentrating on making sure that we have enough cortisol because it perceives danger, then there's less of the ingredients left behind to make all the other um, hormones that we need and the neurotransmitters. So the neurotransmitters are the ones that keep us, um, you know, yeah, happy and healthy. So we we if we make too much cortisol and um, then we won't have enough. We don't we just don't have enough in our system to make the dopamine and the endorphins. And it actually affects our sleep as well, because um, melatonin, which is the sleepy hormone, acts in a sort of inverse way with cortisol. So when the melatonin is dispersed in the morning or cortisol rises, which we need, that's the time we we want it to be there. Um, and then in the evenings, cortisol is supposed to come down and melatonin goes up. And if we're still stressed, we're actually not having enough melatonin in our system, which means that we can't sleep as well as we'd like to. So it's um, it, it's it's fascinating knowing all of these sort of little levers and switches and balances in our bodies that are having an effect on how well we're, fo we're functioning and coping the next day. Wow, it's so interesting. And there was um, another area I wanted to pick up on, which you mentioned, is the pre-sleep ritual. So I'm trying yeah. to think, you know, people are so used to having the TV on and watching the TV until you go to bed scrolling yeah. through your social media on your phone or texting or whatever it is and like you're saying that's all the blue light and it's impacting on your ability to be able to go asleep then when it does come yeah. time to go to bed 
So what are the kind of things that people can do? Now, you mentioned one of them, like if you say to your partner that you have a one hour free or whatever it is at nine o'clock and, and you <laughs> let your imagination do the rest. Um, so, you, you know, it could be that um, you make more time for sex, that you have a nice bath or you meditate. But what are some of the other kind of practical things that people can do to, to occupy their time so that they're not they're not exposed to that blue light for the for the hour minimum or preferably a couple of hours before they go to bed. Yeah, well, it's funny that I, I so frequently ask hands up if you have a stack of books on your bedside locker that you've been dying to get around to for ages. And, uh, you know, again, it's always a huge amount of hands that go up. And I said, well, like, this is your perfect opportunity. And uh, through feedback, that's actually been one of the best things for people, like people almost confessing, like, oh, my goodness, I had such a great night last night. I started reading at seven and I put it down at half nine. And it's almost like they're confessing a guilty secret. But people have um They've felt for a really long time that they don't have time to read. And that's one of the big things that people get back is like finally having um, a set time or prescription to to read. Um, and another thing that uh, if, if particularly if people are reading sort of, you know, um, personal development books and self-growth and things like that, um, I used to have people be a little bit sort of poo-poo-y when I talked about taking the time to do a vision board or manifesting and visualizing. And it's so funny. There's a woman called Dr. Tara Swart. She's a neuroscientist and she released a book this year called Source. And it's giving all of the scientific research and evidence behind vision boarding and manifesting. So I, I love that science is finally catching up to um, things that we would have been considered a bit woo-woo and out there, but science is now actually finally catching up with it and bringing out all the research about how this is, um, how it works and why it works and that, yes, you should do it. But if I'm to talk to people about, you know, uh, what would be your ideal life? Like, you know, what, what would you, how would you love to spend your days? Um, and what are your hopes and dreams, the places you'd like to visit, what you want to do with your kids or your friends? And when people start talking about that and then I say, why don't you put it down in paper? And then it's like, OK, why don't you put it down on a vision board? Um, why don't you actually start actively thinking about these things, really feeling them in your body and the emotions and what it would feel like? And and lots of people, particularly if I'm speaking at something that's kind of tech or startup oriented, you know, they definitely want to be those um laptop millionaires and, you know, working from a beach. And I'm like, well, have you actually got that on a vision board? Is this something that you actually think about? And that is a great thing to do in your time before bed, because ordinarily everything that you think I don't have time to do, the time before bed is a great time to do it because it's all it's all fun and and creative and and dreaming and wishing and those are all great states to be in you know and just getting that sort of stuff out or you know um i think you're never too late for, too old for sleepovers i will constantly have pals around and it's the chats late at night and you know we're having chamomile teas rather than having glasses of wine but it's it's those kind of chats that um that just make you feel literally inspired. You're you've got this vision in you and you're sharing it and you're talking and you're um, with other people. And um, yeah, all of really, it's all of the things that you wish you had more of in your life and you don't have the time to do it. And I also say to people, if you have like a dreaded man drawer or a pile, if it's something that's not urgent and that doesn't have to be done, this is a great time to get it done. You have a podcast in your ear or you have music on and you're just um, you're just sorting through things. You're pottering, but you're not busy doing a task that you would otherwise have to do. Those are all those are just some of the suggestions of things that you could do in that time. Brilliant. But it, it, it's really lovely when people start doing it. Yeah. It's like they, they have time to catch up with themselves rather than switching off, you know, Netflix when they're finally just too tired and they can't actually, um, they can't actually, you know, watch a single more minute, you know. 
And the, I mean, the whole thing is, and this is something that you touched on earlier as well, Trasa, is it, you know, it's just try it, try it for a week. And if it doesn't exactly. work out, it doesn't work out. But but give it a go and really give it a go. And you're only committing to do it for a week. But if it does work out and if you feel better and if you're sleeping better and if your mood is better and if you're eating more healthily, then then it's time to consider whether that that needs to be kind of a long term change that you implement. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, I will um, I will quite often, you know, come up against a lot of initial resistance where people will think, you know, um, going to bed early is really boring. I don't want to give up my wine at night. I love racing through Netflix series, you know, and, and it's almost petulant. It's almost like being a teenager. And so I will then ask them, you know, how do you feel in the morning? How do you feel during the day? Uh, you know, are you somebody that has to be caffeinated before somebody can talk to you? Do you have a slump in the evening? Do you, you know, do you come home? Do you kick off your shoes and you just don't have energy for anything? Um, how would you like to feel? And that's where people finally then start thinking, ah, there might be something in this. What I want to do, how I want to feel um, the the people I, I don't want to be falling out with, you know, um, the the things, the ways I want to spend my time. I have that on the one hand. OK, I'm, I'm finally willing to accept that maybe the things I'm doing, how my lifestyle is, maybe those are the things that I need to examine because right now I don't feel the way I want to and I'm not getting anything done that I want to. Um, and I say to people, listen, if you're going into work on a Monday and you are dying for Friday already, those are five precious days that you are willing away. And I just think, my goodness, every single day is so precious. Um, there are people that don't wake up in the morning. You know, when you wake up, it's just such a privilege to wake up and have another day to live. You never want to be in a position where you're going into work on a Monday and you just can't wait until Friday. You're just going to somehow trudge your way through the next five days so that you can have a life at the weekend. If, if you know, I do get sort of uh, not upset, but saddened when I feel like people don't have a life every day, you know, and um, that's that's where I'm like, please just try this for a week. And it's the way people feel that's the biggest thing people feel like they have a life again they feel alive again they feel enthusiastic um about each day rather than just feeling like they're hauling their body around like you know an unenergized hunk of of meat that's with a foggy brain and barely functioning and snapping at their kids you know that that was i i was really happy with um feedback from a client later where the, the thing that had prompted her to get in contact was that she was just really all the time losing the plot with her kids, just just constantly. And and she hated it. And that was her impetus. And, you know, uh, I was just thrilled getting getting um, a message back from her where she's like, oh, my gosh, I've stopped. I'm, I can actually cope with my kids and I'm enjoying my children, <laughs> you know. So I think sometimes when you figure out what is it in your life that you're not happy with right now and that you want to be better, that's that's the thing to hone in on. That's that's where sleep can help. It's so sad to hear of so many people who are pissed off at work, basically, for want of a better word. Um, yeah. So many people disengaged. They're not happy, but they're not really doing anything about it at the same time and like you say they're just Monday morning or even on Sunday night when they have the fear of going in on Monday morning they're waiting for Friday already at that stage and it's like you say each day is precious and I hadn't really thought of it in that context that if someone's wishing for Friday that they're basically willing away five valuable days of their life um yeah and not everyone gets to wake up in the morning so Yeah. Um, so, Trasa, do you have any more tips that you'd like to share uh, with people, especially, I suppose, from a work context where people might be coming home and they're, they're feeling stressed and they're they're staying up late, they're watching TV and then they're going into work and the, the cycle kind of repeats over and over and over again? Or like what would be the first step to take towards breaking out of that cycle? I think pr- probably the um, 
Well, actually, one thing that we haven't actually touched on, which a lot of people might feel like um, it's enough to give them a flying start, um, is the, the relationship with coffee. So we've we've just accepted this sort of um, societal marketing thing of um, coffee is like our lifeblood and we need it and it's amazing and it perks us up. For the average person, depending on their sensitivity, the half-life of coffee is eight hours. So if you want to go to bed around 10 o'clock, really what I'd suggest to people is don't have coffee after 12 just to now it might if you feel that's really really tough then just plan it if your last cup is normally eight o'clock at night then bring it back and keep on bringing it back and you know take notes take brief notes on how you feel with bringing it back um but you know if people can get to the stage where you know they're, they're finished with their caffeine consumption by about 12 that will immediately have an impact on the quality of their sleep and their ability to fall asleep. Um, but th- the other big one is the screens. Like that's what I find, you know, the highest percentage of people are committing that sort of um, anti-sleep act. Um, so it really is the, the, the cutting out of the screens an hour before bedtime because, you know, you're cutting off certain st- stimulus, but you're cutting off the blue light so that the melatonin can actually rise. Um, but what I'd say to people is like, just have a think about how, just how do they want to feel every day and let that be strong enough to for them to make a commitment to start looking into how they can, um, how they can actually fix their sleep. I mean, um, you know, I do one-on-one coaching with people because everybody is very individual there are general rules that apply to most of us and then um people's um you know people's reasonings and the things that are actually preventing them sleeping once you've actually sorted out what the doctors call sleep hygiene which are the things to do with you know everything that you set up before you go to bed plus um caffeine intake during the day making sure you're getting enough light making sure you're getting enough exercise and good food that sort of sort of sleep hygiene and then it tends to be things that are very specific with people um particularly you know when babies and divorces and bereavements um come into play you know then it's, things get very specific watch the caffeine Make sure the screens are off an hour before bedtime. Definitely try to get some routine. You know, it's if you go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time every day, your body will be very, very happy with you. And if people don't already have a breathing and a meditation um, practice, I would really, 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 really recommend it. Um, I was going to say that it is probably unique to a lot of people. Everyone has their own problems and their own I suppose unique approach or their own history with sleep as well so that's really interesting to hear that so the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast Tressa is what makes you happier at work oh you know what it's really it whether it's work or not work I think everything is life and I want to be in a position where I can go into every day feeling buoyant feeling happy and feeling excited. So um, I thrive a lot on great, you know, sort of connections with people. So I know when I'm in a happy and open mood and I'm well rested and energized, um, I'm much more open to fantastic interactions with other humans. So it's it's lovely meeting people or it's lovely going in and um, talking to people. So for sure, me being happy and rested, um, enables me to be happy in work because all of my interactions just seem to to flow and if there are you know sort of prickly interactions I'm so well rested and I have all the resources that I need to just stay calm and to be able to deal with things in a rational manner rather than rather than losing the plot so for me the sleep is very very critical and crucial for me to be the kind of person that I want to be as I go around you know my work and my daily business. That's a great approach. I love connecting with people as well. And how can people find out more? So you mentioned that you do one-on-one coaching. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the other kind of work that you do and any events that you have coming up as well? Um, they, I would say keep an eye on my um, on my LinkedIn. 
um, regarding events that are coming up um, because I'm currently investigating, which I'm really happy about, um, doing talks down here in Kinsale on sleep and your teen. Um, now, I kind of lure parents in under false pretenses because it's very much it's sleep and your teen. But the reality is, yes, they find out things that are very particular to the teen years uh, regarding sleep. But really, the information that they get is for them as well as for their teenager. Um, and so that's going to be starting soon in Kinsale, which I'm excited about. But I'm definitely then happy to travel around to other schools because I feel like the, the sleep issue is so crucial. Um, and actually, if there are listeners who are either very heavily involved with their secondary schools or they are teachers themselves. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to have been asked by um, Dr. Colin Fanon to do the sleep segment on his um, programme, which is called Project One Sky, which goes into secondary schools. And um, it's a series of seven video workshops um, and they're facilitated by their teacher. And they go through seven areas that are really key for um, the health and well-being of secondary school students. And I do the sleep segment. I'm huge. I'm just so passionate about um educating teenagers on sleep so that then, you know, they can go throughout the rest of their lives being their very best selves. Um, so that that's uh, that's a lot of the focus at the moment. So people will be able to see that on my LinkedIn. I'll be delighted to connect with anyone with this is Trassa Sprague. Um, and also I've started because of the demand, I've started doing um, online um, one on one coaching over Skype. Um, or Zoom if people would like to record it um, and have it there as a resource for themselves as well as one-on-one -on -one coaching in person because as I say you know it's great when you can um, listen to one of my podcasts or go to an, attempt that, an event that I speak at but quite often people leave with um, a great deal of personal questions for their own selves that they would like um, just more individual coaching on so um It'd be great if people connect with me on LinkedIn. The website is, is lettersrevolt.com. And um, I, I always love receiving emails from people. So that's hello at lettersrevolt.com. Great. Yeah. And I'll share those in the show notes as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks so Trasa. It was great having you on. I absolutely loved our conversation. I, like I said, in the last few months, I've become really kind of much more aware of this whole idea of sleep and how important it is for our overall well-being so thank you so much for sharing all of your insights thanks for having me it's been such a pleasure that was Trasa Sprague letusrevolt.com and I really really enjoyed our conversation as you can tell it went on for about an hour and I just wanted to recap on some of the things that Trasa had mentioned so I suppose one of the, the big um, enemies of sleep is when we go out, when we're socialising with friends. And the, the key tip here is to take a nap before going out and also take a nap the next day. But also remember to be kind to your body because your energy is depleted. You haven't had enough sleep and you need to fill it with good food, such as eggs and avocado is one thing that you recommended. Another thing that we can do when we are feeling a little bit stressed and sometimes you can feel a bit stressed when you haven't had enough sleep and it's much more difficult to deal with tricky situations is something called box breathing and that's when you breathe in for a certain number of counts then you hold your breath for a certain number of counts and then you exhale for that same number and then hold your breath out on the exhale it's particularly useful for stressful situations as I mentioned it could be used before presentations or going into a particularly difficult meeting. One of the other key things and something I need to take on board myself as well is no blue light for a minimum of one hour before bed, but preferably two hours before bed. That means no looking at the laptop, no looking at TV, no scrolling through your phone. She did have some suggestions for some things to do. And one of the things that really stood out for me is you might have a long list of things that you really, really want to get done and can never really find time to do them. That's the ideal time to do them. If you have two hours before you go to bed, a couple of other ideas is journaling. So just writing things down and creating vision boards. And the key thing, and this came up a couple of times in the conversation, is to really catalogue how you feel. 
So really making note, so not just kind of doing it and not paying too much attention, but paying active attention to how it is you feel. And the key thing here is just to try it and decide how I want to feel. So, you know, when the examples she had was getting cranky with your kids, but it could be any area of life that you want to improve. If you start getting more sleep, if you start getting enough sleep and cataloging how you feel and deciding whether that is in line with how you would like to feel. It's really about just just doing it, just trying it, giving it a go. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. But I severely doubt that, you know, getting enough sleep is not for you. If you have any questions at all on this podcast or any of the podcasts, I'd really, really like to hear them. You can reach out to me on Facebook or you can send me an email on aoife at empowermentcoaching.ie. If you have any suggestions for future topics that you'd like to hear more about, I'm always open to hearing about that. I really hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review the podcast.